0: Welcome to Rex Factor!
1: This week, Scottish Playoffs Group A!
0: With your hosts,
1: Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor, where we have reviewed all the kings and queens of Scots from Kenneth McAlpin to James the Sixth, and we are now into the playoffs where we decide which of the thirteen Rex Factor winners in this series will be crowned the Scottish Rex Factor champion. Graham. Yes. How do you divide 13 into equal
0: groups of three?
1: Well, that is a tricky one. What we have decided to do is to give our top seeded monarchs, the one with the top score, which is Robert the Bruce, a bye straight into the final. Mm. And then we're going to have three groups of four monarchs. Mm. So in each of those, they'll all get one podcast episode. We'll go through the four different monarchs' biographies, compare them factor by factor, see how they stack up. And at the end of each episode, Ali and I will uh, write down our preference of all... Orders. Oh yeah, I forgot about this. We've got an electoral college system where I am a college, Ali is a college, and the rest of the world is a third college. So what will happen, Ali and I will put them into an order from one to four, yeah. and then you, the public, the rest of the world, will be able to access a link on our Podbean website, on the WordPress website, we'll put the link up on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. You vote for your favourite monarch in each group, the one that you want to get through to the final. If you're in the Privy Council... Then you also get to vote for your favourite death of the uh, Scottish monarch series. We had a lot of very entertaining deaths. You will be getting a link in a newsletter and I think in our last Privy Chamber episode we went through the the ten deaths. So Mm. if you'd like a chance to vote in that as well, you can join up, pay monthly to join the Privy Council. Right, lovely. Mm. So, what about the Scottish series? Well, this is Group A, the first of the three groups, and we have got four monarchs for you to consider in the form of Constantine II, mm-hmm. born in 874, became king in 900 at the age of 26. Um, uh, five words to remind me of who he was. Uh, well, we'll go through.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to do that, <laughs> aren't we? In, in more than five words. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to a short episode. Some, some are me give me five words and then I'll vote for it, all right? <laughs> Get it done.
1: That's not a bad idea. <laughs> uh, he's the son of hashtag remember Ieth. There you go. And he is our 11th seed. Oh right, okay. So the fourth seed in this group. Okay, yeah. Uh, next we've got Malcolm the Third, born in about 1031. Mm. He becomes king in 1058 when he's about 27. Yeah. He's the son of Duncan the First, mm. and he is our second seed. Okay. Only Th- half a mark off Robert the Bruce. Really? Mm, he almost got a buy into the final, did Malcolm?
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Third up, Alexander the uh, Third, born in 1241. So he was only eight when he became king in 1249. Yeah. Son of Alexander II, he is our ninth seed. Okay. And finally, James II, born in 1430, was about six years old when he became king in 1437. Son of James I, and he is our fifth seed. Okay. So,
0: that's how they stack up. But, as we know, the numbers we, I don't always mean that they'll get through. In that exactly. they've all got that certain something mm. that we call the Rex factor, and it's now just deciding... It's sort of a bit subjective now over who's the rexiest of the rexes. Why
1: don't you give us a, a thought on who would win four? in the Heritage Limited playing card depiction? Uh, brilliant. Look at these guys. Uh, old friends. Old fr- okay,
0: so we've got this dude. James who, II. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who?
1: Audio podcast. I can't believe actually look at that, but turns out this is based on a portrait. Yeah, that's the first actual portrait uh, of a contemporary portrait of a Scottish monarch for James II. That is crazy isn't it what a get up uh this is the man with
0: the pointy shoes uh tights 80s power shirt <laughs> um like a twin set and pearls with a flat hat and yet stabby james second looks mean a man after your own heart with a purple jumper oh yeah oh I'm, i am wearing, you it, are wearing it we're <laughs> not recording a video today uh then we've got ming the merciless alexander the third yeah um Malcolm the Third is this the guy that came a point
1: off, uh, half a
0: point half off a point the of the Bruce. Yeah, he does look brilliant. I wish I could remember him because <laughs> he looks great. Uh, <laughs> he's got his sword. He's pointing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he's um. Catalogue oh, he's model. the one who's got uh, the um, ten of spades on his finger like a bird. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the old dude, Constantine the Second, with his staff, looking quite
1: frail, mm. but but competent. Mm. I'd say. There we are Anyway What we're going to do Is we're effectively going to do The oh. format of a normal episode Except there are going to be Four monarchs Rather than one Yeah So we're going to go into Less detail yeah. Than we would normally So okay. Let's get going Right Biography so, first up, Constantine II. Now, let me have a look at this card. Okay, old but competent. Old but competent. So, the context for Constantine when he became king, at this point, the Scottish royal dynasty, the Alpin dynasty, had been established, but it wasn't really possible yet to identify a country called Scotland. Mm. It's still very much coming into existence. We've got shifting borders and identities with the Scots, the Picts, Britons, mm. all that sort of stuff. We've also got Vikings on the loose. Brilliant. Uh, they'd overrun Scotland under Constantine I. Mm. Um, he made a deal to keep them sweet, but then he was killed in 877. By Vikings? By Yes, by Vikings. Ah. And then Constantine Second's father, Ayath, <laughs> bequeathed nothing memorable to history, presumably wasn't able to keep order, and he was assassinated by an outsider called Giric. Right. So Constantine and his older cousin Donald went into exile in Ireland. Mm. They grew up, returned in 889, killed Geric in battle and restored the Macalpin dynasty. Good start. So we had Donald II as king, but he doesn't get to be king for very long because the Vikings are about again and Mm. raiding. Um, Donald is killed by Vikings in 900 Mm. and then in 902 the Vikings are expelled from Dublin. Right, More details from that in our special episode oh, yeah. on Vikings in Ireland. So that means that all of these dublin Vikings come over to the next nearest land, Scotland. Right. And we've got the grandsons of Ivor the Boneless. Oh. was quite a powerful yeah, chap. Yeah, yeah. So in 904, Ivor plundered Dunkeld and quite a bit of Scotland. Um, some then went south, off to York, but quite a few of them remained, including a chap, Ivor. Mm. Son of Ivor, son of Ivor. So, there's a battle between Constantine and Ivor ah okay, yeah, this is this is turning up like a I can see why he's a Rex factor winner, and Constantine wins the battle, yeah, it kills Ivor, and the Vikings are expelled from Scotland. They don't get back for the rest of Constantine's reign. That's pretty good, isn't it, because he came he arrived by mm. battle as well yeah, good stuff. Uh, Then in 906, he has a public ceremony which marks the defeat of the Vikings and also unity in Scotland after the divisions of Giric overthrowing Mm. the previous dynasty. So he allies with the church, pledges to uphold its laws and customs. We see the makings of a more centralised, organised state for the first time. Yeah, which was really needed. Definitely needed. Now, the Vikings in England were defeated by Edward the Elder at uh, Tetnell in 910. So another chap, another one of these grandsons of Ivor, called Ragnall, filled the power vacuum that this left and took the city of York. Yeah. Now, in 914, Eldred of Bernicia, and Bernicia is kind of a northern part of Northumberland, so a bit north of York, he's a bit worried because the Vikings are at his door. Mm. So he rushes off to Scotland and says, Constantine, you're the man to kick out the Vikings. Give us a hand. So Constantine and uh, Eldred fight two battles at Corbridge, 914-918, against Ragnall. Bit of a kind of no-score draw, really. The Vikings stay there, but they're not a threat to Scotland's southern border. And we've kind of got Benicia as a bit of a buffer state. So Constantine's safe from the Vikings, pretty much, but then there's a bigger threat in England from Athelstan. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting that Athelstan and Constantine become king at the same time because we've got these two reigns where the two nations really come into being. Yeah. Athelstan pretty much takes us to modern day English borders um, and he's got imperial ambitions over all of Britain. Mm. Captures York from Goffraid and uh, in 920, 927 expels him and his son. So where do they go? They go to Scotland and Constantine. Oh, wow. So now the Vikings are seeking refuge with Constantine. Right. Constantine's a a wily old chap. He sees an opportunity, maybe a bit of a buffer state between him and Athelstan, if the Vikings could be in York. Yeah. So he uh, takes them in. Athelstan doesn't like this and demands that he renounces them, and he agrees to do so. But before he does so, he allows Goughray to escape and marries his own daughter to Goughray's son, Olaf. So properly makes an alliance, then? He does. So in 934, Athelstan raised an army invaded deep into Scotland, But Constantine doesn't do battle. So instead Constantine submits, comes to terms and then pops off down to England with Athelstan to sign some charters while Athelstan does big ceremonies and says, look how fancy I am. So Athelstan's claiming that as a victory. He is, but he's not actually had a battle victory. He gets bored and heads home and decides we're going to sort this chap out once and for all. So Constantine leads this grand alliance with um, Olaf, the Viking chap in York, Owen of Cumbria, and some other Vikings from Ireland. So this grand coalition against Athelstan. Oh. So then in 937, we have this epic battle of Brunemberg. Yeah. All these different kings and lords and everybody in it. Athelstan is victorious. God, that could so easily have been so different for Britain. Because mm. that actually seems like it was quite
0: fair terms at that point a group of Vikings and the Scots
1: so although it's a defeat for Constantine he does survive and indeed all the other leaders survive so in 939 it's Athelstan who's the first to die but in the power vacuum that Athelstan's death leaves Olaf the Viking recaptures the five boroughs and York isn't that Beastie Boys album Five boroughs in York. <laughs> oh, York, not New York. Got it. right. <laughs> so, uh, consequently, Constantine the Second, despite losing the battle, has once again got York as a buffer between him and the Saxons. So
0: his his overall uh, what do I mean? Not aim, strategy. His mm, overall yeah. ambition is yeah. achieved. He won the war. Really,
1: lost and the battle. He's had a long reign at this point, and he actually abdicates in nine four three rather than dies. Oh. He- this is the guy that went off to the monastery? He retires to be an abbot in St Andrews. And he doesn't actually die until another nine years later in 952 when he's something like 78 years old. Wow. But maybe, you know, the impact of losing the battle, his eldest son was killed, maybe loses some credibility, maybe he loses a bit of the fight himself. He's quite old at this point.
0: Mm. But I, I mean, I think mm. I would have given him, I don't remember, you'll be able to tell me. <laughs> I would have given him points for the fact that he was able to retire in peace. Yeah. Mm, this is really good. I can. I can. I give him the Rex back. <laughs> you certainly can. Good. Okay, that's the end of that then.
1: Well, let's see if anyone else can compete mm. with him. Malcolm the yeah. Third his, not the one that. Follows not him. the one that follows him on. So this is further down oh, the line. Yeah. Context for his reign um, is that Malcolm the Second, who is his great grandfather, mm. had killed pretty much all of his relatives in order to ensure that his grandson Duncan could succeed him.
0: God, that's quite a burden. Isn't he it? was the serial killer yeah. one.
1: Um, so, Duncan does succeed in 1035, but in 1040, he's killed by Macbeth, mm. leader of the rebellious territory in the northeast mm. called Murray. So, Murray um, and Macbeth have supplanted the Alpine line of Scottish kings, and Macbeth is standing as protector to a chap called Lullock, who is of Alpine and royal descent, mm. um, after marrying his mother and killing his father. <laughs> so, Malcolm is uh, forced into exile, either in Northumbria and Orkney. Mm. But particularly if he's got uh, support of the Vikings or in Orkney. Sorry, oh, either yes. Northumbria hmm. or Orkney. Yes, quite a different direction that he's gone in. Yeah,
0: but is this one where
1: we couldn't decide hmm. whether he came south or went north? Yeah. Because we don't know actually where. Yeah. Right. He does seem to have married um, a, the widow of the Earl of Orkney, mm. which suggests that perhaps he does go north mm. and maybe has Viking support, because in 1057 he killed not only Macbeth but also Lullock, so two Scottish kings. He's got it in the blood, hasn't he? And uh, becomes king himself. Right, good start. So, quite a big thing for Malcolm is 1066 and all that. Edward the Confessor in England died without an heir, so there's a war between Harold Godwinson, the Saxon, William of Normandy, and Harold Hardrada, the berserker Viking Mm. from Norway. Now, Malcolm's actually got pretty good relations with Hardrada's ally, Tostig, who had been the Earl of Northumbria. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember And also, because of his Viking marriage, Malcolm, his sons-in-law are fighting for Hardrada. Ah. He may even have introduced the two to each other. So he's got a way in with one side. Now, Hardrada and Tostig are victorious at the Battle of Fulford, but then killed at Stamford Bridge Mm. by Harold Godwinson. Harold Godwinson killed at Hastings by William, who becomes William the Conqueror. Mm. William of Normandy is king. Now there are lots of rebellions and uprisings across England, particularly under Edgar the Etheling, who's the last sort of royal Saxon prince. Oh yeah, and they kept him alive. They did keep him alive, and there was in, even in 1069 a royal a, a Norse fleet that came over to lend some assistance. But William stamps out all the opposition.
0: Yeah, I mean it's at this point. You know how earlier we were just, we were saying how with um, Constantine it, it seemed like it could have been a fair fight. Mm. It seems like after the Normans arrive, it's never a fair fight again. Yeah.
1: Well, so what uh, Malcolm does, um, Edgar decides to give up and goes off into exile in Europe with his sisters and his mother, but he's shipwrecked in Scotland. Uh, So Malcolm takes him in and his sisters, and then Malcolm falls head over heels in love with Edgar's sister, Margaret. uh, Classic. And marries her. Right. So she is one of the first of the major figures uh, in Scottish history, certainly as a woman. Uh, um, She becomes Scotland's first saint.
0: The Ethling's sister?
1: Yeah. Which causes tensions, because not only is Malcolm sheltering the last Royal Saxon in Edgar, but his children, by Margaret, have a strong claim to the English throne. Yeah. And he gave them pointedly English names. Uh, so, William ultimately comes to blows with Malcolm, and in 1072, at Abernethy, um, William launched a major raid into Scotland, and Malcolm is forced to submit. Yeah. So he kicks Edgar out, gives up his own eldest son as a hostage, but in return is given some territory in England to come and stay at if they want to hang out (laughs) so weird the way that worked Um, but what Malcolm tends to do is just wait until William isn't there and then do a bit of raiding so 1079 he has a three week raid in Northumbria while William is dealing with issues in Normandy you you described it just then as a holiday and it does seem to be like
0: (laughs) that's what they did he had a three week raid while he's away
1: 1080 William's son Robert comes along to deal with it and build Newcastle Castle Ah. just as a bit of a barrier on the northeast yeah. stop Northumbria um, but this pattern continues they have a more extended peace for a while again and he actually has quite good relations with the next Norman king William Rufus who wouldn't I mean what fun but they fall out when Rufus takes off his uh, English Jeez. holiday land uh. and uh, starts treating him like an earl yeah. so Will, uh, Malcolm gets upset in 1093 and besieges Annick Castle mm. as you do yeah. but he's ambushed and killed along with his eldest son and Margaret herself dies a few days later from shock that's so sad, isn't it? And he was only half a point off the winner. He was.
0: It's funny, isn't it? Because mm. right now I'm...
1: I i can not tell you. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Let's go to our next chap, Alexander III. Mm-hmm. So his father, Alexander II, had basically for the first time established all of mainland Scotland as Scotland, mm-hmm. which is the first time that's happened. This is in the 1240s. Um, however, Alexander II does give up his claim to Northumbria with England to secure a lasting peace between Oh, we thought the two that was countries. clever, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Mm. And he'd raised a large army and fleet to retake the Western Isles from Harkin IV the 4th of Norway, but died at the start of the campaign right. on the verge of taking the Western Isles. So there's mm. a bit of unfinished business. Okay. Now, Alexander III, as said, is only eight years old when he's king. So there's a minority in place. Mm. And it's a little bit of a tricky minority because there was conflict between um, a chap called Alan Durwood and Walter Comyn. Uh, so Durwood married an illegitimate daughter of Alexander II, tried to have a legitimized yeah. So there's a fear that he's trying to get his own... Okay. Way to the throne. Henry III of England invited Alex when he was 10 years old to come to England in 1251, mm. where he knights him and then marries him off to his daughter. Oh, yes. This is the start of them going to more, so- mm, sorry, Scots,
0: yeah. so sophisticated European courts. Mm. And they so they start to get anglicised
1: from this point. Yeah. Okay. Um, he removes Durwood from power and tries to control the regency by installing his own barons. Mm-hmm. Um, But then uh, Margaret complained that she wasn't being allowed to see Alexander and uh, Walter Common was refusing to let her visit England again and he refuses a request from Henry for military aid in Gascony despite the fact that Durwood fights in person. So Mm. now Henry's like, oh, well, maybe I prefer Durwood to Common. Yeah. And so in 1255, he establishes a new council to rule for seven years. But in 1257, Walter Comyn seizes Alexander and Margaret and is preparing for a war, allies with Llewellyn Ap Gruffydd, the rebellious Welshman. Well, why did he do that? Because uh, he's got his own agenda. It's all a bit chaotic. Yeah. I, st- I thought I had it then, but then Comyn turns his back. It's all quite topsy-turvy, but thankfully, Alexander comes of age. Yeah. And he sorts everything out. Kills him? Well, no, he brokers a compromise between Durward and Comyn, so they're both in government. Okay. Uh, Common then helpfully dies in 1258. Oh, brilliant. Makes it a lot easier. 1260, Alexander was on another visit to England, and big dispute erupts over uh, succession to an earldom. So Alexander comes back, sorts it out, and declares his full majority. And that And So, okay, so he's
0: really, really taken the reins at 18, presumably? Mm. Good stuff. Good
1: stuff. And then his majority is... Really, something of a golden age for Scotland. Mm. From 1261 to 66, he secures the Western Isles. He tries to buy them from Harkon of Norway, but Harkon refuses terms. So Alexander attacks Skye and various other Western Isles, prov- uh, provoking Harkon into launching an armada against mm. the Scots. But the Scots, quite cleverly, just use delaying tactics and negotiating. So when Harkon is thinking, I'm going to sort you out, I'm going to sort you out, okay, we'll have a bit of a chat... And then he looks out the window and sees, oh, there's a terrible storm and I need to go home. Oh. I.e., Alexander's waited it out, waited it out until the point at which the oh, weather's okay. turned right. against the yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. So Harkin heads home, gets undone by a storm and indeed dies on the way home. Mm. And in 1266, the Western Isles are formally ceded to Scotland. Now, that's pretty good, isn't it? Because they mm. were always a bit... Uh, right, so th- that's it for the Western Isles. That's it for the Western Isles. They are now Scottish. Okay, that's which good. Is quite a bit yeah, yeah, and we then have this wonderfully extended period of peace and prosperity in Scotland. We've got trade and political ties with Norway because they make peace as well as the hmm. gaining the Western Isles. He's got strong family ties uh, to England because he is the son-in-law initially of Henry III and then brother-in-law of Edward I. Yes, uh, and trouble, Bruce. But at this point, they get on very, very well. They've got yeah. a good relationship. They're visiting uh, each other's courts. Indeed, Alexander sends troops to England in support of the royal family against the, rebe- uh, the rebellious Earl Simon de Montfort. Okay, right. So England and Scotland getting yeah. on famously at this point. Um, peace in Scotland. And as we said, lots of trade, prosperity, everything's lovely. But family tragedy strikes mm. quite strongly. 1275, his wife dies. 1281, his youngest son. 1283, his daughter in Norway dies in childbirth. Mm. And 1284, his last son and heir dies as well. Oh, So his wife and three children have all died. He's only got a Norwegian granddaughter left. Oh, we know what happens to her. We do, but she's not there yet. Quite impressively, he manages to get the nobles to recognise this Norwegian granddaughter as his heir. Mm. So at this point, Scotland's never had a queen regnant and yet Alexander has got them all to agree to it what's to stop him marrying again well he does marry again because obviously he wants to have a son but he's got to give a plan B that if he doesn't manage it uh, then they will acknowledge her. So he remarries to an 18-year-old French countess. Brilliant. <laughs> Might as well make hay. Now, in 1286, um, he's keen to pay a visit to her and right. maybe hurry along that yeah. uh, pr- production of a new air. So he rides home through terrible storms one night, but oh, lost yes. contact with his escort and is found the next day on the beach with his neck broken. Mm. And his wife may have been pregnant, but ultimately... She either miscarries, or there's a stillborn child, or she wasn't pregnant because mm. no air was produced. Oh, what a tragic end to a
0: brilliant career! Yeah, it was very sad oh. the way that all. Well, down I mean, from, actually, a very happy end, really, wasn't it? He probably, as he was falling, he thought, <laughs> yeah, oh. "I'd do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't change a thing."
1: <laughs> so that's Alexander the Third. Finally, James the Second. Mm. So he was a Stuart monarch, mm. and the Stuart dynasty at this point had really been quite unimpressive. Mm. Um, so from 1376 to 1424, Robert II and Robert III both came to the throne as old men and were basically sidelined by the Duke of Albany, who was son and brother to both of them. So he basically was the regent, and they were just figurehead puppet monarchs. Right. Robert III was the one that said that he should be buried in a pile of poo because he was so feeble. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Not very good. And before that, David II, uh, the son of Robert the Bruce, had also had quite a long and ineffectual reign. Mm. Now, James I overthrew Albany and does restore royal power, so he was looking quite good for a while, but then he became unpopular because of excessive taxation, hoarding land and suffering some military defeats. So he ended up being killed hiding in the sewers with some dirty tennis balls.
0: That's this guy, James II.
1: The James II's father. For, for, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've had three successive monarchs losing power to palace coups or assassination. Sorry, I forgot the context. Yeah. On the yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: But these guys either start well and and go bad, mm. or seem like they've got nothing going for them and
1: do really well. Well, up to this point, the Stuarts and David II before them mm. really had either started badly and continued in that vein, <laughs> or started well and then ended badly. Okay. It was. uh Yes. Okay. So sorry, this guy seemed to pick up where his dad started to go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Remember. So, um we have a minority for the first 12 years of his life. So his mother was wounded in this attack but able to escape. She won public backing and the Pope's emissary as well supported her most of the nobles, so she rounds up and beheads all of the rebels. Good. Uh, But there's then the typical problem of the minority, the regency and rivals between different nobles. Mm. The keepers of Edinburgh and Stirling Castles are at battle with each other. Mm. Though they do ally together to murder the teenage heir of the Douglas earldom. This Mm. infamous black dinner where they invite these two young boys of the Douglas family over who are mates with little James. No. And they just drag them out and kill them and call them traitors. Oh. Anyway, um, they're at war with each other. Um, But also becomes quite powerful another branch of the Douglas family, who now becomes the 8th Earl and who may have acquiesced in the murder of the young boys. Mm. He reunites all the family lands and becomes a big, major power in Scotland. Right. So, things are looking a little dicey. The Stuart dynasty hasn't really got to the point at which the monarch is actually above the nobles yet.
0: He's just one of many nobles who Mm. has a fancy hat. But in 1449,
1: James marries the niece of the Duke of Burgundy, it's mm. a very prestigious match and brings him lots of trade and indeed artillery. Oh yes. His fancy French cannons. French yeah. cannons. Um unfortunately it also came with a costly bill for providing land for his wife, which he didn't have very much of. Oh. So he announces his independence, arrests the leading regent, executes most of his family, and takes all of their land. Whey. And he gives it to his wife. Good. Okay. But there are inevitable tensions with the Earl of Douglas, mm. by far the most powerful noble in the land, older than James, renowned in Europe, and indeed he's got basically a private army, and he pretty much rules southern Scotland.
0: How are they allowed that at this time? Well,
1: James thinks that very thought himself and yeah. decides that this shouldn't be the case. Yeah. So while Douglas is off having a jolly in Rome, he tried to claim some Douglas estates. Yeah. But the nobles resist, thinking this is a little bit underhand. He's not from home. He's not at home at the moment. You know. Yeah. Could be, be me. That. So ongoing tensions because even though he hasn't done it, Douglas, bit suspicious mm. of him. In 1452, Douglas murders a prisoner despite receiving a letter from James demanding the prisoner be released. Mm. He then makes a bond of mutual defence with the rebellious Lord of the Isles and, also and some other yep. figures. So James summons him to dinner. They have a massive argument and James gets cross and stabs him to death. The, and st- Douglas, his main rival? The main, most powerful noble in the land, James literally murders him. Yeah. Where do we fall on that? Do we think that was... Scandalous and bad? Quite scandalous and bad, really. It's not really the done thing. But equally, I think you did appreciate that he was just sorting it out. I was just about to say, it solves the problem. Because he then has a war with the Douglas family, um, manages to get support of Parliament despite having murdered a noble. (laughs) Um, Initially, he comes to terms with Douglas, uh, but then the Douglas' ally with the rebellious Duke of York and the Lord of the Isles. So in 1455, James raises a massive army, captures various Douglas castles, and then either kills or exiles most of the uh, the mm-hmm. brothers mm-hmm. and the Douglas family, or the Black Douglases, are done. Black Doug is that them being maligned by history being called Black? No, because there was a Red Douglas. so There were two branches okay. of the family, right. basically. But he sorted them out. Good, yeah. And he's then able to achieve national unity, unlike his father, who started well but then Mm. annoyed everybody. James gets them on side. He gives out various earldoms to some of his supporters, so he's rewarding people, giving them land, because he's got lots now, having taken stuff from the Douglases. He also then um, holds regular parliaments and is actually consulting with them, rather than just being completely high-handed. Right. So he's a bit bit more of a team player Mm. now, once Mm. he's personally murdered the people he didn't like. (laughs) And he's also looking abroad. He attacks the Isle of Man. Yeah. Starts negotiations to uh, get Orkney and Shetland from Norway. And he's sort of negotiating with both sides in England during the Wars of the Roses, whilst at the same time trying to persuade France to launch a joint invasion of (laughs) England. That's pretty good kinging, though. So in 1460, he besieges Roxburgh Castle after Henry VI, his former ally, the Lancastrian, had been captured. And uh, he captures the town, and he's then in the process of looking to take the castle Mm. When one of his cannons misfires whilst he's standing next to it and blows him up. And he's dead, not quite 30 years old.
0: God, that's a lot to fit in, wasn't it? So he has this sort
1: of massive lot of activity, Mm. doing lots and lots and lots, and then is blown up by a cannon. Burnt out.
0: Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can Mm. see why we gave him the Rex Factor.
1: Mm. So those are the biographies. Those are the four men that we are considering today. How are you feeling at this? We're about to go into the factors, but just on their basic stories. Well, they're all very good, aren't they? Mm. Uh, I've got a favourite.
0: Ooh. Well, have I got a favourite? We'll we'll find out. But um, <laughs> a lot of this is coming down to their personality. A lot mm. of their you can see their personality through their actions and. Yeah. Uh, well, and their, their their portraits do help. Um, <laughs> he does. He does look like someone you shouldn't go to dinner with. Yeah. Um. Oh, but it's it's going to be tough. I thought this round was going to be easier than this.
1: Is it because I think Group A was the one when we did the draw that you were kind of the least inch yeah. when you saw it. You thought, well, I can't really remember who any yeah, of these yeah. people are. Yeah. But it almost makes it more interesting if you're not quite sure which. Yeah. Definitely the little contender. Definitely. Well, let's look into each of the factors and see how they compare. And if that helps us make a decision.
0: Battliness!
1: So what I thought I'd do for each of the factors is I'd go in order from last to first in terms of scoring. Mm -hmm. So our bottom scoring monarch for battliness was Malcolm III. Mm -hmm. Um, So he scored 9.5 out of 20, Mm -hmm. which isn't all that great. 14th in the Rex Factor overall, 11th of the 13 Rex Factor winners. Now, he does have some pretty good battliness, despite all of that. As we said, he killed two predecessors in battle to become King of Scots. Yeah. One of whom is Macbeth, Mm. which is quite a biggie. And he'd secured the northern and western borders with um, the Vikings with his first marriage. And uh, he has also a major expedition to Murray in 1078, when there was either a rebellion happened or was about to happen. Mm. So he goes deep into this rebellious territory, captured the widow of Lullock, And uh, also took all of their treasure and their cows. (laughs) And that's the only unrest that there is in Scotland. So we'll recall that we'd had all of these, you know, the alternating successions. Macbeth had overthrown Duncan. Lots and lots of fighting and war. But under Malcolm III, Mm. he's straight off killed the previous two monarchs, puts down a rebellion. Yeah. And then there's nothing else. He's not going to have any of that, is he? 1070, he was noted to have seized Cumbria in his own right, probably down to Carlisle. Oh, right. So a bit of the north-west yeah. of England, obviously. Yeah, yeah. He's taken for himself. And he makes five raids into Northumbria between 1061 and 1093. And the first four are pretty successful. Because right. okay. he usually times it so that he does it when the enemies or the king, William or, well, well, William, or William, aren't actually there. Yeah. He goes in, has a raid, plunders about for several weeks, takes some treasure, kills some bishops, and then when the Norse, yeah. Normans send their army... He heads home. Yeah. This is the guy that we said he just goes and does a, these holidays. Yeah, he has yeah. a little holiday into Northumbria. Mm. Kills everybody, takes a treasure and goes home.
0: But he does seize down to Carlisle. He does seize down to Carlisle. And,
1: and they're they're English alright with that, or do they they don't do a raid to bring it all back? Uh well they sort of they come up again, mm. but they don't really raid into Scotland. Right. Um but as you said, it's not all good. Um one of his problems is that when they do come up to respond even though they don't really invade scotland we've got a castle built in newcastle Mm. and then william rufus built one in carlisle Mm. so the northwest and the northeast now have two major castles Mm. that are going to make it more difficult for the scots to come Mm. on their raiding parties in future Mm. yeah Mm. we could argue that he's actually a little bit too cautious because he rather stayed aloof from everything in 1066 didn't invade Northumbria when he might have done in that immediate aftermath when everything is in chaos. Mm. So we think, too, in Group B, we'll have David I and the Anarchy in England who gets all the way down into Lancashire and Yorkshire because mm. they're too busy to deal with stuff way up yeah. there. Maybe if he'd got involved early on, maybe with Hardrada or particularly when we'd got all of the uprisings with Edgar the Aetheling, there was this huge Norse fleet came along, potentially to support. If we'd had Malcolm in Scotland fully involved as well, Mm. all these Saxon uprisings, the Norwegians there, the Scots there, the Norman conquest might not actually have lasted and he could potentially have bagged himself a lot of territory as part of that.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking that. If he'd have backed in that in Stamford Bridge Mm. and then we'd have had Harold defeated then, William would have had... Quite the force to be up against.
1: Yes, it is a really like that everything is on a hinge at that time. Mm. But maybe he's sensible by not getting involved when it's chaotic because say, he does survive all of the leaders of 1066. Yeah, so and to top it all off, of course, in 1093 he was provoked into raiding Anak by William Rufus, got himself killed on an ambush, and uh, it was a bit of a disastrous end. Yeah. We're, I mean, normally we're quite critical of a bad end, but we've had mm. a few here. Yeah, we have, it's, it's surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing with the Scottish series, I suppose, that quite a high proportion of the monarchs did yeah. meet difficult bad ends, so, yeah. yeah. Next up, James II. He scored 11 out of 20. Um, he was ranked 11th in Rex Factor overall, ninth of the 13 Rex Factor winners. Mm-hmm. Um, he was quite a warlike chap, um, besides, obviously, personally stabbing. The yeah. Most powerful early in the land, he took a lot of interest in military affairs. Apparently, had the common touch with his soldiers. He was reproached for riding with them and taking food without having it tested. Right, uh, like, like not like robbing from his troops. No, just you know, marching along. Here's some bread, sir. I oh, don't mind if I do. Uh, okay, right. Yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely picture you've painted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was nicknamed James of the Fiery Face because he had a, a, a birthmark across, apparently, half of his face. Oh, right. It all rash, but it was thought to indicate his uh, rather rash temper, uh, which obviously we pun? saw. Uh, aye. <laughs> um, so as I said, he did murder the most powerful noble in the land, and mm. um, he had three powerful brothers, mm. the chap that he murdered, who were ruling Scotland. But James acted quickly to get Parliament support, declared Douglas a traitor, and then won the backing of the rival Douglas family. Yep. So that sorted the initial attack out. Then in 1455, when war jumps up again, he once again is very quick to respond, raises a large army, put to use those magnificent guns he'd got from the Duke of Burgundy. Mm. So he captured various castles in a matter of weeks that usually just one of them would have taken months to capture. Mm. So James has got all the gear to deal with it. Uh, The brothers are then defeated at Arkenholm. Some of them are killed, others are exiled, but this incredibly powerful Douglas dynasty has been subdued. So is, is he still having to have one of the sides of the family on side? He does, but they're nowhere near as powerful as the right. previous ones were. Okay. Yeah. So he's dealt with a very serious opposition, which, as we said, in all these previous reigns, the Scottish monarchs have been unable to establish themselves above the nobles. Mm. James very much dealt with it. Right, yeah. Okay, good. And then in 1460, he did capture the town of Roxburgh, and the castle itself was on the verge of falling. Mm. So he would have captured it himself. Oh, yes. To the extent that actually after he died, the nobles are so united and strong that they actually continued the siege and captured the castle after he died. See, that doesn't seem strange to me,
0: but actually in this context it is, isn't it? Mm. You'd think of uh, quite, uh, you know, England at the time... There's such a strong centralized structure. Of course, the army would have carried on doing it and there would have been an easy (laughs) succession. But there you just sort of imagine them scattering to the
1: wind. Let's go and kill everybody. Yeah. Oh, gosh, there's no one in charge. You're looking at me funny. (laughs) Particularly (laughs) because his son is uh, young. We have all these minorities, so it's Mm. not like there's a 25 year old prince who just steps into the breach. Yeah. You know, James himself is only 29. Yeah. So it's another extended minority. But they're at this point suspiciously together. Mm. Against him, however, we don't really have any proper battles in his reign and certainly no evidence that James himself, personally, is in the thick of the fighting, except mm. at dinner. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, and he, he dies by cannon, doesn't he? He dies by cannon, yes, mm. that's
1: true, but his own cannon rather than oh, yeah. charging into one. I see, and that's quite far away, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Mm. Um, he ha- we said he had to go at the Isle of Man. He named his son the awesomely titled Lord of Man. Oh, brilliant. And he did send soldiers off to have a look, but the English built a curtain wall to see off a rather small attack, and James had to give up. Um, He had a go at purchasing Orkney and Shetland, but uh, Christian I wasn't interested, so that didn't come to anything. And he engages in light raiding with England, but he didn't manage to persuade the French to get involved, Mm. and he didn't really make... Uh, he wasn't really able to take advantage of the Wars of the Roses. Mm. Now, perhaps if he hadn't blown himself up, he would have been well set to do so over the next few years. But as it was, perhaps quite a good opportunity and he doesn't actually yeah. manage to do anything because he blows himself up. Yeah. And technically, he does die before taking the castle. Yeah. And because yeah. he dies, the army went home afterwards rather than going on to capture Berwick, which was the initial aim of mm. the campaign. Mm. Yeah, that's... Mm. We're gonna go into Alexander the Third. Okay. Eleven and a half out of twenty, so just uh, just half a mark ahead. Um he's the tenth ranked overall and the eighth in the Rex Factor winners. So, you know, getting pretty oh, good now. Yeah. Well he's at least in the um in the amount of people we have in the playoffs. Yeah. He's up there, yeah. Now obviously the biggie for him is taking the Western Isles. Mm. Now almost the first thing he does when he comes to his majority is to send an embassy to Norway to purchase them. Uh, but when Harkin rejects the offer, he takes the initiative and uh, launches attacks on Sky, Napdale, and Arran. Mm. Um, he then knows that battle is going to come, so he strengthens the royal castles on <clears throat> the east and west coasts, and uh, levies local militias, establishes an HQ at Air mm. so on the west. So Harkin comes over with an armada of something like 120 ships. Good lord. And he assumed that a show of force would bring immediate submission. But Alexander knows that he's uh, Harkon's left it a little late in the campaigning season, particularly because he's had to get the submission of all the local isle lords. Right. So he gets negotiations open and then just strings them out long enough that the storms arrive and Harkon has to go home or else he's going to be stranded. Yeah. Now, he's actually shipwrecked in 1263, and uh, there's a Battle of Largs where he's quite heavy fighting with some local forces. Um, is celebrated as a very important victory, probably not really a game-changer, but Harkin is bruised by the encounter and forced to make a further retreat. And he then dies, uh, subsequently going home, on one of the Isles in 1263. Mm. His successor, Magnus VI, says, look, let's take some time to call cool off, we'll have further negotiations about the Western Isles in 1265. mm Alexander isn't having any of this, and he sends his nobles to uh, occupy all of the uh, relevant territories in 1264, including the Isle of Man. Mm -hmm. So in 1266, the Treaty of Perth, Magnus is forced to acknowledge reality and cedes the Western Isles to Scotland. So they should have just sold them. Should have just sold them in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, they do, in return for this, get an annual rent for a time. So the Scots do give them some money for its compensation. But nevertheless, the Western Isles are now Scottish. Okay, good. That's quite an achievement. Because they were back and forth for ages. And he does also, as he said, take the Isle of Man. Now, in 1275, the Isle of Man rebels. The illegitimate son of the previous king uh, takes control for a while, proclaims himself the new king. But Alexander sends a huge army, defeats the rebels, and restores order. I never thought of the Isle of Man being Scottish. Mm. Unfortunately... Against him. We could say the Western Isles, there isn't actually a grand conquest, really. And yeah. in fact, the Armada comes to him. It's more about Harkon not having enough support among the Islesmen, bad weather, bad health. Mm. An old age for Harkin. Um Most of the hard work in setting up the victory, you could argue, was actually done by his father, Alexander II, mm. who maybe might have actually conquered by force in 1249 had he not died. Mm. He's lucky, Alexander, that he's facing a weak Henry III, a young Edward I who's busy with the Crusades and Wales early Mm. on. He doesn't have the same challenge as his predecessors. And because it's an extended period of peace, the Western Isles is the only real major conflict. There's no actual evidence of Alexander III himself at war.
0: Right. Well, there's an English equivalent of that, isn't there? Uh, Henry VII, although he had a hell of a big arrival. Mm.
1: Edgar the Peaceable? In fact, yes, we did make an egg of the comparison. Did we? Well, fine when we come onto Scandal that there was a certain okay. similarity. Right. But yeah, it's that same thing of great achievements, very, very strong, and yet not actually fighting any great battles that mm. gives you a sort of overriding yeah. highlight.
0: I suppose uh, But you know, territory is territory. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's it, it was the um trickiness of that problem that was just solved. Yeah. In the, I think I'm sort of giving him credit for the, all of the previous
1: monarch's failures in that yeah. regard. And he does take action, even if it's not just one big set piece battle. He is mm-hmm. yeah. taking a lead. Anyway, our top chap for battling us in this group is Constantine the Second. Yeah. Scored 14 out of 20, fourth overall, both for X Factors and uh, the overall groups. In his favour, in 904, he inflicts a major defeat on the Vikings and killed their leader. The yep. first major victory for the Scots against the Vikings. Really avenges the death of his cousin and ensures there are no further invasions for the rest of the reign. Mm. Nine one eight at Corbridge, he defeated three of uh, Ragnall's four battalions in battle. Um, they then get ambushed because Ragnall's sneakily hiding a fifth. Uh, sorry, a fifth, a fourth battalion. <laughs> um, some sources claim Scottish victory; others a Viking. The reality is that things kind of stay similar, but the Scots don't suffer any major losses. Yeah, which is like,
0: um, which is like a defeat to Vikings. Mm. It's like when the when the Lions drew with the All Blacks in that last <laughs> yeah. test. The uh, the interview with the uh, the Lions captain was like, I can't believe you know he's thinking, talking like they won. And uh, the All Black captain, when he was interviewed, said, "Oh, I feel like the reason we lost this series was this." this, this. <laughs> he actually interpreted the draw as a loss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's my um,
1: sports comparison for the day. Mm. Um, and such was Constantine's strength that he serves initially as protector to Earl Red of Benicia against the Vikings. Mm. But then the Vikings end up coming to him for protection against Athelstan.
0: Yeah, it's so, so strange that, isn't it?
1: Like, but
0: this is his skill, wasn't it, playing them off mm. against each other? And you
1: think of the start of the reign, Scotland's still very much in an embryonic state, could have been mm. overrun by Vikings. But by the end of it, he's leading the grand coalition yeah. against Athelstan. Yeah. And it's quite wily, his diplomacy, because he sets up Benicia as a buffer state against the Vikings, Mm. then he's using York as a buffer against the Saxons. Mm. He's kind of always managing to kind of manage the situation.
0: Being a proper king, as in like a king on a chess piece, he's got all these pieces in front of him that are buffering from the other king, and he can direct all the um, goings-on and tries that one move. Yeah. But.
1: Well, that is the but. Um, He does have to make numerous submissions to the English, in particular Athelstan, um, as we said, um, he had to come to England to witness mm. various charters in 934 after Athelstan launches this huge invasion of Scotland, the first English invasion of Scotland. Yeah. Um, by land, he goes to Aberdeen. God, that's um, a distance. And by sea, went up to Caithness. Goodness. So Scotland itself is barely actually, its borders aren't technically controlling yeah. Caithness at this point. Um Yes, Constantine does well to avoid battle and conquest, but it's still a little bit humiliating. Mm, mm, that is rather... I mean, that that's that's a foreign king running amok mock mm-hmm. all throughout the country. And then the big battle, of course, is Brunemberg, um known generations later as the Great Battle. Five kings and seven earls are killed. Yeah. Constantine II's own son is killed. And despite the Grand Alliance, Athelstan is the one that wins the battle. Okay. So... There we go. The four of them for battliness. In a way, it's funny. In a way, like you said, they kind of apart from Alexander the Third. In a way, they all kind of end with defeat yeah. in one way or another. Yeah. Um, but arguably, Alexander. Well, Alexander wins the Western Isles, but he doesn't actually have a battle to show for his successes.
0: Mm. Yeah, and the one that is the most sort of battle-y, mm. Well, perhaps yeah. James the Second. He uh, <laughs> ends
1: up. You know, on the wrong end of his own battalion. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Malcolm III, perhaps the one who's most active with all of his raids into Northumbria, he kills off two kings, and yet somehow he's the one that comes yeah. out as the least impressive yeah, battley chap, perhaps because he didn't follow it up in I the second like- half of his reign. But I like his personality. I think he's
0: more uh, calculating.
1: Mm.
0: I feel like James II just... You know, no wonder, I feel like no wonder he got killed by his own cannon because he yeah. probably had the safety
1: catch-off or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's more his personality. He was like, he's one where he talked, oh, imagine if he'd lived for another 30 years but you think he's probably the personality type he was going to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At some point. It is it is really clear their personalities come out so strongly mm-hmm. here. Well, you've got Constantine II as the sort of the wily master tactician that's mm. these alliances using other territories yeah. as a buffer against his own.
0: Yeah, and that... and. It all, But you can see it was, with Constantine II, it was Wiley, mm. and he was playing his cards, you know, he was being that king on the chessboard, uh, and it wasn't that he wasn't, it, it wasn't that he was unprepared to do a big battle, because he did, it was all gearing up for, he'd rather do a decisive one than these piddly little holiday raids, mm. but it just came off the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, it's what, as we talked about in his biography, mm. it could well have been a Hastings. Yeah could have changed everything. It was just less well-known because yeah. it, it didn't happen. <laughs> and yeah,
1: even though he lost the battle, he does actually survive Athelstan. He's Even when he loses, he kind of manages yeah. to come out on top because of the way he's played it.
0: Yeah. Because oh, I'm, I'm, I'm
1: doing a little score here, Graham, hmm. and I think <laughs> I might have to adjust this slightly. And yeah, Alexander the Third is the only one that you can perhaps say, well, he actually gains quite a big bit of territory. But doesn't do anything. But he doesn't actually yeah. do it by fighting. Well, it's really tricky to score, isn't it? It's one that's tricky as well because Constantine the Second does have that great victory against the Vikings, but I guess with the Saxons, you've got so much chronicles going mm. on because of Alfred that it's recorded in great detail. Maybe if we had, you know, like a hundred line poem celebrating this amazing victory against the Vikings, yeah, we'd remember this epic encounter. Yeah. Whereas instead, it's like two lines in a chronicle, and we just think, well, that must be quite important because the Vikings don't trouble him again. Yeah. But it's just they need. They need... Who invented PR? Uh, William III. William III, they need him on the case.
0: Well, I can't work this out because I've got two scores of two here. (laughs) And one, I did have 32, so I don't know what's going on there.
1: (laughs) And a four, right, Okay. we'll have to come back to that. What's going on with
0: the scandals? Scandal!
1: So, from first to last, uh, Constantine II didn't get any points of scandal. Oh. Bottom in the group, as such. All we had to say for him was that... um, Athelstan was outraged that Constantine made this alliance with pagan Vikings. Of course he was. They're so moral, those two. And the fact that Constantine allowed Goffrey to escape despite having promised to hand him over. He married his daughter to Olaf despite Mm. promising to uh, not ally with Vikings. He's always a bit crafty making these shifting alliances. Even the Saxons in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle poem about Brunenberg dub him the Wily One. yeah. But that's what his job. That's his job. That's just king. And say, mm. Athelstan started his reign by marrying his sister to a Viking. So it's, you know. Did he? Yeah. But then the Viking died and he conquered York.
0: Oh, so he's got no legs to
1: stand on. So, yeah, so there's that's just what you do as king. You make these alliances and. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm. oh, I'm going
0: back. I'm changing the score, Graham. Bear with me. Oh, no. It's a scandal has. now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And there's no evidence of anything untoward in the bedroom. Well, yeah, I mean, he's never going to get far without that sort of no. thing. Next, Malcolm III. Yes. He scored nine out of 20 for subjectivity. Um, We've got double regicide. Big. Pretty normal for the Scots to have to kill the previous ruler at that stage in history. But to kill two of them is unprecedented. Yeah. And indeed, he might have been quite sneaky about the way he did it. Um, He may have colluded with Lullock against Macbeth Mm. to ambush Macbeth, because Lullock and Malcolm both had their fathers killed by Macbeth. Oh, yeah. So they both had an axe to grind there. And then he may have turned against Lullock because it was sources say that Lullock was killed by treachery. Ah. So he perhaps allies with one king to kill the other. Then bumps the other one off. Bumps the other one off. Mm. And it's slightly almost saucy marriages. Inge was the widow (laughs) of his first cousin once removed. Was the wife
0: of his first cousin? once? Okay,
1: right. And Margaret, his second wife, had been very keen to become a nun. (laughs) <laughs> but then Malcolm was quite insistent that she marry him Yeah So it's not sex with nuns But it's sex with uh, It's sex with a wannabe nun <laughs> Wannabe nun <laughs> well, Okay, that's pretty close <laughs> Against him, he seems to have been entirely faithful to Margaret Ah, uh, I mean, these Scots don't know what's good for them mm. Third in this group or, Well, sorry, second in the group Alexander III, who scored 11 mm. out of 20 And for this one, I will once again read out The Chronicle of Mm-hmm. He was accustomed to desist neither for night nor for storm, neither for dangers on water nor for obstacles of rock, but by night as well as by day, whenever he thought fit, sometimes with disguise of clothing, often accompanied by one associate, to visit with rat without regard for honour, matrons and nuns, Yay! maidens and widows. So what he's saying is that all times of night,
0: whatever's going on, if yeah. you fancied it, he'll dress up. And go with a friend to a nunnery.
1: Yeah. Oh my word, that is huge. Did we score? What did we score him? He got eleven out of twenty. Eleven. I guess because you know, with the Scots, we maybe expect them to be murdering people and doing that oh, sort yeah, of stuff as well. Murdering. But he does.
0: But this is the golden age chap. This is Ming the Masters, yeah. who in all other ways is the perfect king. Yeah. It
1: seems. Uh,
0: but his his kryptonite is well, a bit of a habit. for <laughs> A habit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> And our top scorer for Scandal, with 12 out of 20, was James II. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, the biggie is the fact that he personally murders the most powerful noble in the land. Mm. And as I say, it's not by sneaky means, like Henry VIII style, dressing it up as mm. kind of a court. He actually stabs him. <laughs> not only does he stab him, but he'd actually issued him with a letter of safe conduct.
0: Oh, that's pretty dis- deceitful, isn't so he'd it? So he
1: effectively promised not to stab him, mm. and then he got drunk. And stabbed
0: him. Stabbed him. I wonder if he got the letter out and rubbed
1: it out before he did it. <laughs> yeah. If he's got any honour. Not. <laughs> um, poor old Douglas, after he was stabbed by James, James's men rushed in and stabbed Douglas a further 25 times, cleft his head with an axe and then threw him out of the window. Just to be sure? Just to be sure. Right. And he also had an unknown mistress who provided him with a son. Good. All bases covered then. Hmm. So Constantine II didn't really turn up. When it no, came to scandal No Malcolm the third You know a bit, of yeah. a bit more standard It's really We've got the sex with nuns Of Alexander the third Versus personally stabbing It's do we prefer sex or murder That's the question isn't it Yeah Tricky. I mean James did give us A bit of murder as, A bit of the sex as well But A bit more of a, your, your standard You'd expect
0: Yeah you'd expect I mean he's a he's A mistress yeah. Do you prefer sex or murder
1: Well I know which way I'm leaning
0: <laughs> Subjectivity
1: Well, once again, we go from first to last. Mm. James II was our lowest scorer for subjectivity, but this is a big category in Group A, because he scored 14 out of 20. Wow. Wow. Okay, so we're getting all the subjectivity out of the way in this one. We are, indeed. (laughs) Um, As we said, the Crown had been really weak, basically, since 1326. His father was assassinated, but James comes in as a young man removes the previous regent, brings down the most powerful noble, and is then unchallenged. Um, he then is able to achieve national unity, He modifies his behaviour to unite the surviving nobles. As mm-hmm. I said, he created four new earldoms. He got the loyalty of the previously rebellious Lord of the Isles. Yeah. And they're so united that even when he dies, they carry on the campaign in Roxburgh. Yeah, yeah, yep. He holds annual parliaments, works well with uh, the various different estates. Um, and he does a lot for law and order. He passes eighteen statutes in 1450 to restore order. 1458, he established a centralised supreme court for civil wow. justice, and uh, he personally travels extensively to oversee the sort of local heirs in person. That I can't believe that there's three
0: better than him at the moment because that's <laughs> such a. I mean, even just having the unity is such
1: a big deal for mm. the Scots. Against him, he is a little bit tyrannical. As you saw, he removed the old regent and family. Basically, with unknown charges, so it was just a blatant power grab for independence and land. Yeah, uh, he does then push the major noble Douglas into disloyalty with an arbitrary attempt to take his land. Yeah, and then stabbed him after giving him safe yeah, conduct, yeah. which leads to a civil war with the Douglas family.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's more um, that's more scandal, but actually, that's uh, pretty
1: poor if you're a subject and mm. actually just want a bit of peace. So, actually, he's not really doing a lot of good ruling in terms mm. of time. He's only got a majority of about ten years, mm. and the first five is at war with the Douglas family. Yeah, but there was all that good stuff, cent- setting it all up, centralised judicial-, judicial system. The good thing for him is that the good stuff is in the second five years rather than the first five, so it's not that it peters out into Oh, chaos. right, yeah, good it started point. badly, but then he got it sorted. Yeah.
0: So it's sort of just getting everything sorted with his enemies so he could go on and do the yeah. good stuff. Mm. So once again, if he hadn't, mm. but if anyone was. Mm.
1: <laughs> Next up, Malcolm III, who got one point more with 15 out of 20. Okay. So again, centuries of instability, but he only faces one rebellion mm. and effectively starts a new royal dynasty. And didn't he just turn up and sort that out? That Turned up and killed the previous two, put down a rebellion in Murray, and then he's done in Scotland. It's all good. Good. Um, and of course, he has his marriage to Margaret of Wessex, Saint Margaret, that brings ah. major reforms and uh, cultural change in Scotland. Um, for the church, he held a council with the church leaders to bring the Gaelic church into line with the Church of Rome. Yeah, and he has to translate because she doesn't speak ah. Scots, so he's you know he's kind of part of it. Uh, New monasteries are established. Um, She also sets up ferries on either side of the River Forth for pilgrims. That's where we've got Queen's Ferry. Ah, no way. Because of Did you tell me that on the episode? Probably. Oh, right. (laughs) Uh, Margaret encourages foreign merchants to come to Scotland and bringing lots of luxury items. So Mm -hmm. encourages Malcolm to look a bit more blicky. (laughs) Introduces court etiquette and dress and stuff like that. And they're really quite devoted to each other. It's a, a way to see the sweeter side of this sort of rampaging yeah. warrior king. He was illiterate, but he loved her books because she loved them. So he had them embellished with jewellery. Oh, So you said it was like a bird of paradise that doesn't really understand these pretty things. But it <laughs> got fancy colours. Yeah, she likes these. I'll give her these things. That's nice. And something which I hadn't found in my original research, but found it in a, uh, a newspaper pub quiz thing, uh, he apparently invents fell running in 1064. Velcro? Fell running. Fell. What's that? Oh, fel, like running down a hill? Yeah, well, up and down. Up and down a hill, yeah. Um, he held a race at Braimar. Why
0: do I think you said Velcro?
1: I don't know. Fell running. Fell running. Okay, right. Held a race at Braimar, where it was going to be the first, or Braemar, uh the first to reach the summit of Crea uh, and back. So uh, Malcolm wraps his shield to start the race. The idea is that you need messengers that can... Cover this territory quickly, so the one that can oh, so fastest. So oldest, right. Um, so he starts starts off the race, and two brothers are leading. And the younger one suggests that they should share the prize, but the elder one's like, "No, nah, I'm having all of it." So the younger one races ahead, and then with the elder brother try to hold him back. So he tried to grab him, but he just pulled off his brother's kilt instead. Huh? So the younger brother wins the race, only wearing his shirt. <laughs>
0: Great, that's fantastic.
1: They should recreate that every <laughs> yeah. year, but
0: I'm surprised that it, that sort of that tournament hasn't lasted. If it had, that'd be the oldest sporting competition in the world. I think
1: they probably do still do a fell running race there now, but it's not one that's been continued, year, yeah, since 1065. That's amazing. What a great Rex Fact. I don't mm. have a bell again. <laughs> oh, we don't oh. do the bell for Rex Facts, do i No, but for Scandal, but yeah. uh, you've already heard More the in, scandal, yeah, yeah. against him. Arguably, his role in all of this is a bit limited. He's the illiterate warlord enraptured by the cultured English queen. Mm. So much of the achievements are really more down to her than to him. Mm. And she's actually a bit unpopular with some people at court for excessive Anglicisation. So she brings foreign people and foreign customs to the court. She never learns Scots. And actually, when Malcolm III dies, his brother takes the throne rather than any of his sons. And we have a bit of a Gaelic reaction. Oh, yeah. And but also, she's she's remembered fondly, isn't she? She's remembered fondly now, but at the time it wasn't universally right. popular. And also, the chroniclers noted his rather brutal behaviour when he does his holidays to Northumbria: <laughs> yeah. um, old people being beheaded, babies on spikes, young people what? into slavery. Is it's, that your standard? Not, yeah, I mean that carried on to the First World War: babies on spikes business. Is it? Do we think it's true? Maybe an exaggeration, but I'm mm. sure it wasn't uh, entirely pleasant. Yeah, for Northumbrians wasn't a, wasn't a picnic. In second place, Alexander the Third. 16 and a half out of 20. Right. Six best in Rex Factor. Uh, as we said, we've got that unbroken period of peace and friendship with England, mm. which is a real biggie for Scotland, um, particularly when we consider what comes afterwards. Numerous visits by both royal families to each other's courts. Uh, Alexander is in England for the translocation of Edward the Confessor's relics. Oh, yeah. He's also there for the coronation of Edward I. Huh. And uh, when Alexander suffers all the tragedies of his wife and his children dying... Um, Edward I sends him quite a kind letter and they have this quite lovely exchange. Yes they do, he's a lovely, lovely man. So at this point it's unthinkable that England and Scotland are going to be in this sort of century of terrible, terrible war. While Alexander yeah. III is alive, he's got the respect of Edward I. Completely. For, to to go from sending a
0: really you know sweet and thoughtful letter to uh, the Scottish king to wanting to be
1: remembered as the hammer of the Scots, that mm. relationship went downhill. Um, But Alexander is able to stand up to Edward and indeed Henry. In 1251, when he came to England for his marriage, he was only 10 years old, but Henry III tried to get him to do homage. Right. But Alexander said, no, I think we'll discuss this another time. I've just come to get married. At 10. Well. Poor Henry III couldn't even... (laughs) (laughs) But more significantly, Edward I also wants him to pay homage. In 1278, Alexander is made to come to Westminster to do homage.
0: What, what? Does he go?
1: He does go and he does do homage, but then he specifically excludes as King of Scots. Oh, for his English lands. So for his English lands, okay. not Scotland. And then he has lots of objections to the nobles and the bishops there, but he stands his ground and Edward is forced to accept it. Yeah, what can you do? That's standing up to yeah. a really pretty powerful chap. Oh, Yes. And as I said, it's a golden age for Scotland. Lots of peace, uh, stability, prosperity. Mm. Alexander's a forceful character, but he does allow the nobles to recover their status. There There are no grudges, no favourites. It's all quite Mm. equal and going on quite nicely. There's no internal unrest in Scotland. Mm. Whereas compared to England, we'd had John, Henry III, even Edward I faces some difficulties from his nobles. Yeah.
0: Mm. That is good, isn't it, for this time? Mm. So actually
1: there's unity with Alexander the 3rd. What happened to Scotland? Everything was going so yeah. well and then suddenly somewhere from nowhere oh, someone came along and ruined everything. Oh. Well, there was a problem that
0: needed solving, (laughs) and unfortunately Edward only has one tool in his toolkit. I have a solution to the problem.
1: (laughs) Sure, it's a solution we need. Well, uh, (laughs) this is what I do.
0: This is my solution,
1: and this is what... Yeah, exactly. That's the only way he knew how to deal with things. When he dies in 1286, the chronicle of the kings of Scotland said none of his predecessors was able to hold the kingdom with so great peace and so great rejoicing.
0: Yeah, it's really good. I can't believe we have scored Constantine II higher.
1: Well, I mean, not a lot higher. The, the thing's against Alexander III. There's an element of rose-tinted glasses for the Golden Age because the chroniclers are writing in the period of the wars with England mm. when everything's really, really awful. So they yeah. look back and think, oh, wasn't it so lovely right. before? Yeah. So, you know, it's maybe exaggerated, particularly because mm. the Bruce and Stuart dynasties wants to emphasise how good it was before mm. and blame John Balliol yeah. for how bad it then got. Again, for Alexander III, you could say a lot of the hard work was really done by his predecessors. Yeah. They said, and again, a bit like the Peaceful, the predecessors fought the battles, got yeah. rid of the difficult people. Yeah. He is then able to just enjoy it. There's not a lot for him to do. Best of all for this group, Constantine II scored half a point more than Alexander III. Right. 17 out of 20. Once again, a bit of a common theme in Scotland, a lot of instability before he became king. The previous four monarchs had all been killed. Mm. two of them by Vikings. His father had been overthrown in a coup, but Constantine has a very long reign and no evidence of instability whatsoever. Why isn't this called a golden age then? Um, I guess because it's so early on that there's not sufficient no right sources yeah. to describe it as such. But it is well described in the Chronicles. The Chronicles are probably thinking, this is this is pretty normal. I imagine we're going to see lots of this. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just day to day now. Yeah, yeah. The Prophecy of Birkin, which is the one which you recall was written several hundred years after the events he <laughs> <it> was prophesying, <laughs> yeah. did yeah. celebrate the okay. bountiful blooms and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, SST defeats the Vikings and then that's it for them. No more raiding from Vikings in his reign. Right. Which is good. Yeah, yeah. Definitely Definitely would rather not have that. And then in 906, he had that meeting at Schoon, where after all of these divisions, probably lost to history, where he had Iath overthrown by Geirich, Donald overthrows Geirich himself. Mm. There's probably different sides, people a bit at odds with each other. Constantine brings the nobles, brings the church together in this grand ceremony. Uh, forges a new link between church and state, establishes Schoon as a royal centre, um, and perhaps this is a symbolic moment. He's like, right, we are now together, we're united, one country yeah, enough going now. forward. Yeah. It's perhaps quite an important sort of foundation moment yeah. for the nation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he makes St Andrews the chief bishopric of Scotland, supports flourishing Culdeese order. Earldoms are mentioned for the first time in 918 mm. under the name of Mormers. Oh, We don't hear that much. We just use the English word. We use the English word now. But that suggests a more formal structure to governance in localities. Mm. Kenneth Macalpin is the legendary first king of Scots, but in a way, Scotland really begins here with Constantine II. It's the first time Scotland and Scots are used as terms in the English sources. Oh, right. The first treaty and the first war between England and Scotland. Mm. Defeat of the Vikings, resistance of Athelstan, and a long reign sees that Scotland's borders remain stable mm. perhaps for the first time. Ceremony at Schoon, the Church and State Alliance, this is really the point at which you feel like Scotland has begun. Mm. And it's with this chat with Constantine the Second. Yeah, I really like him. I think uh, what is he? He's um Old and capable, isn't he, that Old one? and capable. Yeah. I mean to be fair, he wasn't old and capable of his whole reign. <laughs> <laughs> um, against him, we had some Viking plundering early on and nine three four Athelstan when he would invaded to Aberdeen and Caithness yeah. presumably left a bit of a mark. Yeah. despite uh, I've a forgotten lack of about battle. that. Yeah. And he does ultimately abdicate in nine four three after Brunenberg. Was he broken? Did he lose support? Does it leave a bit of a bitter taste in the mouth after all the successes that he'd had? But he's able to I just can't imagine another time mm.
0: when he wouldn't end with a ludicrous yeah. know, death by banana
1: or whatever. So, subjectivity, they all did pretty well Yeah, there. Yeah, very good. And I think that's one of the things with the Scottish series, is that you have these sort of good periods of rule and everything stable, and then quite quickly things can turn to absolute chaos again. Mm. So actually, it's a way that it's funny that we kept saying, oh, well, there have been centuries of chaos, and then a golden age. Yeah. And then 200 years later, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. So all of them really have kind of come from a period where their predecessors were struggling, perhaps apart from Alexander the 3rd, who his father had done quite mm. a lot of good work, and then they're able to impose good order. Yeah. But then yeah. Alexander the 3rd perhaps, which one would you actually want to be a subject to? Perhaps that's the period which is most steady and stable and and that's the enjoyable. crux of this factor, isn't it? How would you like to be a
0: subject? And I think Yeah, well, yeah, I think we scored those well. Mm.
1: At the time, I think I would most like to be a subject under him. And uh, James II, if your surname was Douglas, you probably wouldn't want to be a subject. Yeah, and I don't think that
0: with someone that impetuous (laughs) and just careering all over the place, yeah, it was a good five years, but I might have been on edge. Yeah. I felt
1: like, although it was peaceful, it could have gone at any moment, and it did. (laughs) Uh, it's just yeah, he only blew himself up rather than... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> ...an entire town. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a good scoring, good scoring round there. Mm. mm. going to be tricky. Longevity. So, this one, of course, is just simply factual. James II had the shortest reign, 1437 to 1460, mm-hmm. 23.42 years, which gave him a score of 12.5. Mm-hmm. Malcolm III reigned from 1058 to 1093, mm-hmm. which was 35.67. Mm-hmm. And a score of sixteen, Alexander the Third, twelve forty nine to twelve eighty six, thirty six point six seven years. So just one year more Gosh. than Malcolm the yeah. Third. because of our scoring with the ediometer, he also got sixteen out of twenty. But I've ranked him a bit higher because he was a year longer. Yep, yep. And then the biggie for longevity was Constantine the Second, nine hundred to nine four three, so forty three years. Gosh, that is a long time in these days, isn't it? Seventeen out of twenty. There? I mean, any reign forty-three, any time forty-three mm. years is a long time. But in yeah. the tenth century, wow! How old was he when he came to power? Uh, maybe about twenty-six. Oh, so they? still,
0: That's still good, still old. It was not like he was a uh, Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah. Okay, okay. Dynasty, not the program.
1: So, Alexander the Third, sadly, despite uh, having three children initially, ends up with zero children. Yep. So he got a big fat zero for dynasty that brought him down. Constantine the second had two surviving children, mm-hmm. so he got a score of four out of twenty. James the second, despite not quite being thirty years old when he died, uh, managed five children. That's pretty good going. So a score of ten out of twenty. But Malcolm the third, ten surviving children. Wow. Twenty out of twenty. He's the best for dynasty. And they're all legitimate. All legitimate children. Wow. How mm-hmm. many? How many wives did he have? Uh, two. Still. Yeah, <laughs> Obviously, they all have the Rex Factor, mm. but we are going to have to decide which one of them truly has the Rex Factor. So in terms of scoring, they ended up with Constantine II uh, scoring 52. Right. Alexander III, 54.5. Mm. James II, 59.5. And Malcolm III, the top dog, with 69.5. But it's interesting, if you look at the stats on the uh, your final page, if you see mm-hmm. the one where we've got their position in the groups, in the groups, I think the second table, Yeah, Constantine II is actually first for three out of the five factors. That's good. Yeah. And Malcolm is fourth or third for all of them apart from dynasty. Mm. So it's one of those where Malcolm scores okay, not brilliantly for most of them, but because he gets that big 20 out of 20 for Dynasty in a good long reign, mm. powers him to the top of the group. Yeah. Mm. Mm.
0: No, but, and it, sh- it shows the importance of the Rex Factor mm. factor, yeah.
1: because it's not stats necessarily. Mm. So uh, we're not going to give away... Exactly how we're going to vote, and uh, we will have to decide how we're going to vote. But taking it all in, considering the totality of it, the actual Rex factor, mm. how are they all lining up for you? Take take me through the. Uh, I'll, I'll take you on a journey. Cards. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what I'm getting out of this, and this is what I really like about the, the
0: these comparison episodes, is as we mentioned before, you get the personality mm. really clearly, and I think. Now we—they've all got Rex factor, so it's just which one I like most. Yeah. Mm. And Constantine the Second, I think, is the nicest chap. Mm. I think Malcolm the Third, it's all a, a, a bit wary and he's doing—he's a solid character. Mm. He's got a lot going on, as you know. He scores pretty well across the board. James the Second, oh no, Alexander the Third, mm. Golden Age, a bit boring, mm. I think. But he's got the nuns. He's got, oh, yes, he's got the nuns. Damn it. <laughs> and they're dressing up. That's throwing everything out. Nuns well, in the Western Isles. Nuns in the Western Isles. He had a habit for a habit. I love that guy. Sorry, I'll repeat it. <laughs> uh, James II, too flashy, too too um, impetuous, to an edge. What? Angry man. Angry, Angry young man. man. Yeah. So that's how I... Feel mm. that's my gut, yeah. but I have got been going along and giving them a little score, so I'm going to Ooh. see how they add up. What about yeah. you? What's your
1: feeling on the four? Yeah, so it's interesting. I think James II was the one. I think you persuaded me on his Rex factor. Yeah? Yes. initially. You did, yeah. I think it's one of the tricky things sometimes when we summarise them for the playoffs. Some of them summarise better than others. Yeah, James II is one where I wonder if he maybe doesn't summarise so well because we don't have perhaps a a great achievement or lasting. Mm. Legacy, the headline really is that he murders somebody. Yeah, yeah. But I guess for him it was the context of how we'd had, f- well, four successive weak monarchs really, the crown slipping to being less even than first amongst yeah, the nobles. Right. And he was just this shot of energy and fire. And mm. th- You'd have thought if you'd asked, I think you said if you'd asked the contemporaries, they would have said, oh yeah, he's got the X factor. Right, yeah. True.
0: And that's it, isn't it? it? That was definitely needed at the time, but comparing them to these four, mm. I'm not sure how he well he stands, stands up. Well, maybe he does.
1: It's interesting that Malcolm III is by far the biggest scorer. Yeah. And yet, I'm not sure if he feels like the most impressive That's what I mean. He's ruler. solid. Yeah. He's just, And quite a lot of that, perhaps, is helped by the fact that he's got St. Margaret as his wife, yeah. who is very impressive. Mm. And yet, he's got this amazing story. He begins you know, by being exiled when his father's killed by Macbeth. Mm, mm. He kills Macbeth and the two <laughs> yes. monarchs. But, and Macbeth, though. He kills Macbeth. He kills Macbeth. He survives all of the 1066 nonsense. Yeah. It's a big reign. It feels one of those that's a, quite a milestone, in a way, in Scottish history. It's like, yeah, there's a before and after Malcolm's uh, reign. Mm.
0: But I can't get a handle on his personality. Hmm. I
1: can't... I've got a picture of these other ones. Yeah. Constantine's one where I wonder whether... He's like a bit of Alfred, a bit of Athelstan, in a way. Mm. He perhaps doesn't get celebrated as much as he should because Kenneth MacAlpin's the one that gets set up as the founder of the dynasty. Yeah, but it feels like Constantine's the one that really yeah should get the recognition establishes yeah. Scotland. Um, and was... Alexander the Third perhaps is a bit of an Edgar the Peaceful. You criticize Edgar for benefiting from the hard work yeah. of earlier ones, yeah. But at the same time, you've got a chap that is able to oversee a golden age, and have sex with nuns. But and I'm surprised I'm leaning towards Constantine because if
0: there the, the, he is a bit uh he does have a bit of the Athelstan uh, um Ar, uh, Alfred
1: Arthur Alfred about him. <laughs> you, you kept on calling Alfred Arthur. Did I?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I keep wanting to do it. Um because he doesn't have very good scandal
1: either. Yeah, the zero that's what really brings him down. That's why he's not higher scored. But zero he's coming out well for me here. Mm. I guess the thing with Constantine the Second is like we've got the victory against the Vikings which is very impressive. Mm. Doesn't get as much detail about it, but you know, he does get invaded in nine three four, he loses the Battle of Brunenburg. Mm. You know, is it all impressive because he survives it and he's quite canny, or do you say, well, maybe I might expect my Rex Factor winners to actually be winning these big battles yeah. rather than yeah. losing them? Yeah. I can't side, Graham. I can't well, side. I think we are going to have to decide. Okay, so in, right, I'm gonna to tot up just, my scores. I'm going to pass Thank over you. to Ali an envelope which has a card in it. I've got one for myself. So as I said at the start, Ali and I are going to rank these chaps in order of preference. So first the one that we think should go through to the final, down to the fourth as well.
0: Nice, nice paper. Yeah, mm. these on, this is good.
1: And then you the listeners get to vote as well. So you will just be voting for your favorite, the one that you want to go through to the final. The links will be up on our various websites and on social media uh but yeah you've got to decide who is best and then we will bring those three electoral colleges together to decide which monarch from group a will join robert the bruce in the final oh. i have uh done my okay. done my votes sealed my envelope
0: oh this is interesting okay okay fine quite a clear winner here i'm afraid oh <laughs>
1: Are you confident that this reflects your opinion and you haven't just got your numbers <laughs> wrong? Yes,
0: no, I, I'm happy that the one I, I favoured has come out the top slash lowest, so that's good. Uh, I want to swap the fight. I, I want to discuss this with you, Graham, but I can't.
1: <laughs> oh, he's no, been it's decisive. Going
0: in, it's going in. It's going in, Peely. Peel, this is... Uh, ooh,
1: and it's happened. Done. Ali and I have now finished are voting for Group A. There you go. So, there we go. That is our vote done, but you still need to vote as well. So, go to our various websites, get Mm. the links for Group A. The deadline for voting will be, for all of the groups, the 30th of April. And, obviously, let us know what you think uh, on Twitter at RexFactorPod. Like us on Facebook, email com, and go on to rexfactor.wordpress.com to read the blogs and complete the polls. If you'd like to support the podcast, you could leave a review on iTunes and subscribe. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you'd like to support us financially, a one-off donation uh, via PayPal would be very, very welcome. Or you can pay monthly and join the Privy Council. Um, All of our Privy Councillors get access to the Privy Chamber, which is a a special episode that we record after each of our normal podcasts. So Mm. those paying $5 a month or more get access to our special episodes. $10 a month or more get a Rex Factor mug. $15 or more a blog on the subject of your choice. And as we said, during the playoffs, you also get to vote for your favourite Scottish death. So even if you haven't been in the Privy Council at this point, if you join during the playoffs... You get to vote in that as well. And we've got some new privy councillors to welcome. Fire Garnet, Fletch Snark, Iona Phillips, uh, Emma Southern, Laura Duggan. Ah, ha ha. This was one which she said I would struggle to pronounce. Uh, I'll leave that to you. That's (laughs) Shining, Shining, shining. Shainan.
0: It's Irish name, isn't it? Is it Siobhan?
1: Siobhan, maybe Siobhan. Let's go for that. Siobhan McCoy. That's our bet. The the Celtic names L L P Y In. As you can see through our doing the Scottish (laughs) Rexto Studios, we have learnt a lot over our journey. And uh, a bit easier, Mackenzie Walton. Thank you very much. Thank you all. And finally, we also have a birthday message to, I think, a Privy Councillor. Uh On the 28th of March, we wish a very happy birthday to Chris Douch. Happy, happy birthday. was going to sing. But I um, swallowed a (laughs) (laughs) bub. Happy birthday, Chris. And most importantly of all, please, please, please do vote. I'm really desperate to see how you voted. Mm. Anyway, next time we will be recording Group B. Mm. Until then, it's goodbye from me. Cheerio.